Amen. Wow. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for rescuing us, Father. We thank you, Lord God, for everything you've done. But, Father, most importantly, above all things, we thank you, Lord, for two things. One, your grace, your amazing grace that rescued us, and we thank you for the cross. Mm. Those two things will ring in our hearts from now to eternity as we live out this life serving you, Father. So, Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the cross. And thank you for that beautiful hymn that, that is timeless. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. 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 You may have a seat. Again, welcome everyone to Calvary Chapel. How are y'all doing this morning? Good. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and ready to go, right? Yep. Good deal. Good deal. Well, this morning, we're in Hebrews chapter 10. So please turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. Got a question for you this morning uh, to get, your, get the wheels turning and get you thinking. And I want, you, I want to ask you this question. And it relates to my, the passage that we're looking at this morning. And that is this. Are you embracing the substance or the shadow? Okay? As we get into the message, you'll see where I'm going. But the question I'm asking now is, are you embracing the substance or the shadow? If my lovely wife would come up here and join me on stage, I'm going to try to give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. So stand right there, honey. My wife, my lovely wife of um, <clears throat> 23 years now, uh, was a military spouse for about 18 years of my active duty time. And... Uh, I would have to go off in the military, and I'd have to go off and do training. Sometimes I'd be gone for a week, months, sometimes longer, as I did a lot of travel. But whenever I left to go travel, the one thing I always looked forward to was the night I got home. Was the night I would get home and I would get reunited with my beautiful wife. Now, Irene is right here, and her shadow is right here on the floor, okay? Now, go with me for a minute. Imagine I've been gone for eight weeks, a couple months. I've been out doing training or doing something with the National Guard. And I come home, and I'm so excited to see my wife. My wife's so excited to see me. She's dressed up nice, nice romantic evening for us to have together, a nice dinner. And I, go, and I come in the house, and instead of going to my wife, I go to her shadow. Hey, honey, how you doing? I love you. I missed you. You look so nice. And I started talking to her shadow and addressing her shadow, and I walked past her. What do you think that she would think? She would probably <laughs> clock me upside the head with a frying pan that she used to cook our nice romantic dinner. Why? Because I am addressing the shadow of her and not the reality that I love so very much. So we're called to a and this morning, I'm asking you, are you, address, are you clinging to embracing the substance of Christianity or a shadow? Thank you, honey. All right. So when I came home from the military, I would want to embrace my wife and not her shadow. Well, it's the same way in Christianity. 
The Lord Jesus Christ, He wants you to embrace Him and not the shadows. Okay? He wants you to embrace Him. There's many shadows in Christianity today. Okay? You know, some of us love studying the tenets of Calvinism. And there's nothing wrong with those. They're great. They're wonderful. I enjoy reading lots of doctrines of Calvinism. Some people like to study Joseph Arminius and studying Arminianism. Some people uh, like to be a part of the Baptist church or a Pentecostal church or a Calvary Chapel church. You know, and none of those things are bad. Those, all those things, matter of fact, can be good. Some people like to wear a necklace around their, uh, they wear a necklace with a cross. And when they think of their Christian faith, what they, what's the first thing they grab? Their necklace. Now, all those things are good, but what you need to understand is all those things are shadows of Christianity. And the real substance, more than your cross, more than your tenets and, and, and your interpretations of Scripture and your necklaces and all the different things that we can cling to in our Christian faith. Well, I'm a member of such and such, and I've been on the roll, and I get the newsletter for the church, or I wear the cross necklace, or I wear the Christian t-shirt. More than all those things, Christ wants us to embrace Him and His cross. Okay? Again, those things aren't bad. They're, they're good, as a matter of fact. I, I, I like those, doing those things. I love uh, those different aspects of Christianity. But we cannot forget that the substance of Christianity is not those things. It is the Lord Jesus Christ and his cross. And we've got to remember that. When you step into eternity, that day when you step into eternity and you stand before the Lord, he's not going to ask you if you're Arminian. He's not going to ask you if you're a Calvinist. He's not going to um, ask you if you went to First Baptist or Calvary Chapel. He's not going to say, the Lord's not going to say, All right, let me see your neck. Do you have a, do you have a cross? He's not going to ask you none of those things to see if you have a cross on your necklace or on your neck in eternity, if that's even possible. <laughs> but um, he's going to ask you, what did you do with my son? Did you embrace the cross? Did you embrace the Lord Jesus Christ? That's what matters. That is the substance of Christianity. So, in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning, the author of the book of Hebrews is writing to, as we've established this in our verse by verse study, He's writing to a Jewish audience that's under persecution, and they're considering going back to the Old Testament and to the sacrifices. They're on, they're, they're on the, uh, the fringe, I guess you could call it. And what he does in chapter 10, verses 1 through 18, he's helping them to embrace Christ, to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. So what he does, this is masterful. The, 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 the author of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he lays out Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 18, as you see on the screen. Verses 1 through 4, he explains to these believers, why did Christ come? Verses 5 through 9, how did Christ come? And verses 10 through 18, what did Christ accomplish? So we're going to leave this up as we go through the message. So can I help you, give you some framework in your mind to help you understand what the scripture is saying. So y'all ready to get into it? Yeah. All right, let's do it. Uh, verses 1 through 4. And he's, at, he's answering the question, why did Christ have to come? Chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, since it was only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifice 
which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw near. So the problem with the audience of the book of Hebrews is they were embracing the shadow and not the substance. They, they were not embra fully embracing the Lord Jesus Christ. They were embracing the shadows, which was the, the law, the, the, the sacrificial system, and the things of the Old Testament. When in actuality, those shadows pointed to who? They pointed to Christ. So he continues in verse 2. Let's read 2 through 4. He says, Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins? But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So what he's saying there is the sacrifices, my friend, just as a little illustration I gave you of, of my wife and her shadow, and I'm called to embrace her, not the shadow. They were embracing the shadows of Christ. And the shadows of Christ, the things of the Old Testament that pointed to him, they had no substance. They had no substance. There was no reality. There was no power in those substances. Look at um, verse 4. He, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The blood of bulls and goats, you know, they wouldn't um, wash away. They, they would atone. They would cover. You know, they, 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 they would, they, the sins would be covered for, but they would not be completely removed. So in verses 1 through 4, why did Christ come? In the Jewish mind, it was to fulfill the law and to fulfill what all those Old Testament sacrifices pointed to. Christ came to, um, to do what those shadows could not do. And he came to bring this substance. And did he not? Did he not come through with the cross? The, the beautiful, glorious, wonderful hill of Golgotha where he gave up his life on a cross. That is the substance. And it, 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 is, it has transformed uh, communities. It's transformed people. It's transformed time, uh, B.C., A.D. It's transformed everything because it is the substance. It was, it, it was and it is the substance. And it was, um, it was bringing the reality of who Christ is and the, his substance replacing the shadow. And he calls us to embrace the substance and not the shadow. So let's look at verses 5 through 9. Verses 5 through 9, we're, we're given the answer to the question, why did Christ come? This is actually a passage you could, you could read at Christmas. This is a beautiful God's commentary on the incarnation of when Christ was born. He's going to quote from Psalms chapter 40. And this very well could have been Christ's final words before he left the Father's side to come to earth. And you'll see what I'm talking about as we read through it. Let's look at verse 5. How did Christ come? Verse 5. Therefore, look at that phrase. When he comes into the world, referencing his incarnation, he uh, 
talking about Jesus, says this, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Here in this verse, we see an inner Trinitarian conversation where the Son is speaking to the Father. And in, 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 in the incarnation, Christ became the substance by taking on flesh. By taking on flesh. This very well could have been Jesus' final statement before he left the Father's side. Whoa, what an extraordinary scene that must have been in heaven. As the Father looked at the Son and said, It's showtime. It's the, it's the appointed season. The, the law, the schoolmaster of the law has done its job in Jerusalem, in the earth, and now it's time for you to go down and be the ultimate sacrifice. You, for you to go down there and be the sacrifice for the sin of the world. You see, my friend, Jesus was not created. Jesus was not created. He is the eternal Son of God. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this passage is talking about Him leaving the Father's side and coming into this world. And, and, and we're asking, how did he came? He came in the flesh. Deity was wrapped in flesh at Bethlehem. Verse 6, it says, In whole and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Simply put, family, the sacrifices were not getting the job done. The sacrifices could not bring perfection. And God demands perfection. And the problem is, is those sacrifices that were being given were not perfect. Why, Pastor David, were the sacrifices not perfect? Because they were part of this fallen world. They were part of the fallen world. They were affected by sin just like you and I. And it had to be a pure and a perfect sacrifice in order to make you perfect. Not, not that there's nothing perfect in you and me. The perfection is in Christ. The perfection is in the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why his sacrifice was accepted before the Father. That's why his sacrifice, it doesn't cover your sin. It completely wipes it away. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so as he removed our sin by his sacrifice. That those Old Testament sacrifices, they were not getting the job done. Jesus accomplished it all, the perfect sacrifice at the cross. Look at verse 7. Verse 7, continuing this thought of Christ coming into the world, the author says in verse 7, Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. There's a couple things there in verse 7. First it says, In the scroll of the book is written of me. And anybody that's been studying the Bible for any amount of time knows that you can find Jesus in every single Old Testament book. The, the Old Testament, the law, was the schoolmaster, Galatians 3.24, to prepare the world for the gospel. And it all was pointing to Christ. So he was there. Uh, admittedly, it was a, a fuzzy picture. It was like looking through a stained glass window. You couldn't see it completely, but you could see him there. You could see Christ 
in his birth in Isaiah, his crucifixion in Psalms 22. Moses wrote of Jesus' um, defeat of Satan in Genesis 3.15. So he's there in every book. And then he says there in verse 7, Jesus speaking to the Father, he says, to do your will, O God. That was Jesus' mission. That was, that was the plan from the beginning. In John 6, 38, Jesus said this, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus came to do the Father's will. What was the Father's will? The Father's will was to seek and save the lost and to go to the cross. When he came into this world, that was the, that was the uh, end of the road. That was the mission. That's what the, the crosshairs of his whole entire life, from, from birth to when he was a child in the temple courts, speaking with a priest throughout his whole entire life, he had his sights on the cross because that was the Father's will. His journey on earth was a predetermined destination because that's the Father's love. That's the Father's plan was to come down to make a way so you and I could be in this living relationship with him. Continuing in verse 8, he says, After saying above, he, basically, um, verses 8 and 9 is a repeat of verses 6 and 7. But he says, After saying above, sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. And he takes away the first in order to establish the, the second. The substance of Christianity, the Lord Jesus Christ, his mission was to establish this new covenant. This new covenant that you and I are in. And this new covenant had one dominant theme. One dominant theme in this new covenant that you're in. And it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is what your relationship with God is based on. Is grace, faith, and Christ. By His grace, because it's all by His grace, He gives us faith to believe, and we trust in Him, and there's salvation in no other than, than in Jesus Christ Himself. That is the substance of the new covenant. It's not a matter of you taking a sacrifice to the temple or to a tabernacle, as if there is one, because there's not, because it's done, been done away with. It's not a matter of you going through rituals and duties and going through traditions and all that. It's about you trusting in Christ and living for him and his Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of you. Okay? You know, we are not saved by works. There's nothing you could do to earn salvation. If there was something that you could do to earn salvation, then Christ died in vain. Okay? That's why he said, come unto me and rest. I will give you rest from your work. Because there's no more labor. It's trusting in him alone. It's re repenting, turning from your sins, turning from the old way of life. It's called repentance of faith. Salvation is like a coin, I like to say. It's got two sides. One is repentance. One is faith. You turn from your sin and you put your trust in Christ Jesus. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he gives you the power to begin growing in sanctification and be, to begin growing in him. That is the substance of Christianity, okay? And all those secondary and third level things, they have their place, 
you know, Christian t-shirts, necklaces, and, 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 and different trains of thought and study, but the substance is Christ and Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So, that is how Christ came into this world. He left the Father's side. He had the cross before him. He was focused. He was in the zone. And he knew what his mission was. Finally, what did Christ accomplish? I love how the author is, is, is addressing these guys. And he's basically just, he's like going up steps. He's, he's going up steps. And he's, he's given them one foundation. Once they understand that foundation, they take the next step. They understand that foundation. And then they take the next step. You know, a lot of times in Christianity, we don't have it all together in the very beginning. We don't know everything there is to know. And we don't expect you to. I've been serving the Lord for 22 years now. And I am still learning. I am still learning um, from the Lord and what it means to serve Him. You know, I've, I've, there's passages in the Bible I've studied in the past and, and I've taught on them. And then I'll go back a couple years later, I'll study that same passage. And I'll be doggone if God doesn't teach me something new from that same passage. It's amazing that we, that we continue to grow. So, what did Christ accomplish? That's where he's going in verses 10 through 18. Let's take a look at that. Uh, verses, uh, verse 10 says, By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, he sat down at the right hand of God. You know, Jesus, his physical body, flesh and blood, the body he took on, that body that, that God took on became the atoning sacrifice for sin. You know, if you came here this morning to hear a nice, warm, fuzzy message, you've come to the wrong place because this passage here, it gets deep. It gets deep and, and, and it, it gets uh, theological. You know, Jesus could not fax or email salvation from heaven. Okay? Jesus couldn't just drop a note from heaven and say, okay, you're forgiven. It, that's not the way it works. Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. A sacrifice had to take place. In other words, one, one, the point I'm getting at is this. Jesus had to come to earth. He had to come to earth. And he had to sacrifice his physical body at Calvary to be the spotless lamb that would forgive us of our sins. And by this sacrifice, according to verse 10 here, it says, um, by this we will have been sanctified. What's he talking about there, Pastor, what's Pastor David? When he says we will be sanctified, you and I will be made holy. We will be made holy by all of our good works and our good deeds and all the good things we do in life. Is that what the Bible teaches? No. <laughs> no. We will be made holy. We will be made sanctified through it. Look at verse 10. Through the offering, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Verse 10. 
You know, we're set apart from sin in the world by his sacrifice. And the way that gets applied to our lives is by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. When you put your faith in Christ, when you repent of your sin, put your faith in Christ and you put your trust in him, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and begins working out your growth. He begins working you out in growth and he begins setting you apart. That's one of the works of the Holy Spirit. Think about it. The name, the name itself. What, what's, what's the third member of the Trinity called? Holy Spirit. The Spirit makes us holy. Not in our own deeds, but with Christ's righteousness and his work in our life. And then also look at, notice verse 12. Uh, he says, um, one sacrifice for sins for all time. Meaning this, salvation is complete. Meaning there's no more action required. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, what did he say? It is finished. It is finished. And that enables us to draw near to God. That enables us to draw near to God and call God our Father. Because our sins are forgiven and we're in a right relationship with God by Jesus' death on the cross. And I love the... Um, the illustration uh, that the author gives in verses 10 through 12, where he says in verse 11, every priest stands daily ministering, offering time after time the same sacrifice. Man, the priest and the temple and the tabernacle, it was work, work, work. Keep the golden menorah lit. Keep the table of showbread. Keep the bread refreshed. Uh, make sure you're, you're washing yourself in the bronze laver. Make sure you're, you have to offer the sacrifices. On the brazen altar outside, the, the high priest would have to go into the Holy of Holies. It was work, work, work. And there's multiple passages. I didn't write them down, but there's multiple passages in the Old Testament I could point to you where if they got it wrong, they would be struck dead. So it was a lot of stress. So the, so the, the priest, the high priest, and all those Levites, it was work, work, work. Okay? Verse 11. But then... Um, at the end, very end of verse 12, look at it. Priest work, look at what Jesus does at the end of verse 12. He sat down. He sat down. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because the work was complete. It is finished. That's what he accomplished. Our sanctification, our being set apart, being put into a right relationship with him. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 is, this is really good, guys. Really, really awesome. I got more on this one than I got any other verse. It says, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. You see, the, 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 the shadows of the Old Testament, they had no effect on Satan. They had no effect on Satan. They had no effect on the, uh, the forces of darkness. But the substance, you know, the, the substance, shadow, shadow substance, Shadow has no power. Substance has everything. Christ being the substance. His substance, his sacrifice on the cross, it did this. It dealt a death blow to Satan. It, it dealt a death blow to the forces of darkness when he died on the cross. I'm going to give you um, five Bible verses. And there's more. I just limited it to these four for the sake of time. But Colossians 2.15 it says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. 
So that Colossians 2.15, what does it say Jesus did? He disarmed him. He removed his armament. He removed his influence and his power and his ability to capture people and to hold them captive. He disarmed Satan and the rulers by his death on the cross. And it says he made a public spectacle. Then back in those ancient days when one king conquered another king, they would lead them in triumphal procession. They would lead, lead them in shackles. And the king would uh, lead the charge and everybody had been taken captive or as this, uh, this public spectacle, they would be bound in chains and they would, be they would uh, take a processional through the city to show what the king had done to those he had defeated. And Christ has done that exact same thing. He's defeated him and he's made a public spectacle. He is saying, Christ is saying to the world, look at what I did on the cross to defeat Satan and to defeat his power and to defeat the things that he does in people's lives. Hebrews, next one, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Again, the phrase there in Hebrews 2.14 is he rendered him powerless. You know, as Christians, we don't go around scared of Satan. We don't go around scared of demons because we know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And, you know, there's, there's not this cosmic war going on between God and Satan, okay? Now, Satan's running his minions around on earth, and he's wreaking his havoc. But when it comes to God and Satan, there is no battle, okay? God is greater. God, God, God is greater, and God, through the cross in our lives here on this earth, he has rendered him powerless. Do you see the power of the substance? Do you see the power of the cross? Do you understand? Let's look at the next one. 1 John 3, 8 says, The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. But the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Now, I don't know about you. I can only testify for myself. But when I came to faith in Christ, I had a lot of baggage. I had a lot of bondages. I had a lot of addictions. And if you knew of some of those bondages and some of those addictions, you'd be like, and he's a pastor? Yep, I am. But all those bondages, all those addictions, some of them were completely severed. When I, got, when I surrendered my life to Christ, I experienced instant victory over some of those things that held me down. Some of those, it took discipleship. It took brothers coming alongside me and, and holding me accountable and, and going through discipleship and getting into the word and getting into fellowship. But eventually, all those works have been destroyed. They have been laid down. I was, I was, I was, I was addicted to substances and to chemicals and other stuff that I don't have time to go into because I want to keep the point of the text. And the point of the text is he came to destroy the works of the devil. Yes. And if you're held in captivity, if you're held in bondage, he is the way maker and he is the one that can set you free. Amen. Going back to verse 13 in our verse by verse study, um, waiting for that time onwards until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. Who is his enemies? The forces of darkness. So there's three verses. 
I got good news for you. That's a lot of theological truth that's great to know and it refreshes our hearts. But the good news is this. You and I can walk behind Christ, submitting to Christ, and live in that same victory. You and I can live in that same victory. We don't have to live a defeated, woe is me, life. We can walk in victory by the power of the Spirit. His Spirit working in us and being yielded to Him and being in His Word. Listen to Romans chapter 16, verses 19 through 20. And the point of this text is, 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 is we, we got to do, but here's the, here's the principle though, to experience that, you got to do what's right. You got to do what's right. You got a purpose in your mind, in your heart to do what's right. Romans 16, 19, 20 says, everyone has heard about your obedience. So I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. And look at what it says. And the God of peace may crush Satan. And that's not what it says. It says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ um, be with you. He is the substance. And we can walk in victory. Yeah, we, have a, we still have that carnal flesh that we wrestle against. Okay? And it's normal in the Christian life, living the Spirit-filled life, being filled with His Spirit, walking in His Spirit, to go through seasons where you wrestle with the flesh, where, where you wrestle with the the old temptations. Sometimes they will rear their ugly head and try to draw you back in. But that's when you stop, think about it, and you submit to the Holy Spirit. And you say, Lord Jesus, I just ask you today, give me the strength and the power to overcome this temptation. Lord, give me a way out. Give me a way of escape so I can move away from that thing that's tempting me. That's what God does. And he gives us the ability to walk in victory. He has defeated Satan. He has defeated his enemies. And you and I, when we follow Christ, we can experience that same victory over the forces of darkness. That, my friend, is one of the things that Christ accomplished. So I could just see the author speaking to the Hebrew audience. And saying, hey man, let's compare. Let's compare apples for oranges. This is what Christ does by the cross. What can, the, what, can the, what can that sacrifice do? Now the sacrifice was holy. And it was a, a God-ordained thing. But it, and it, and it, it, it covered sin. But Paul says in Galatians that that law was a schoolmaster to bring him to Christ. And that ultimate Holy as it was, sacrifice and beautiful ceremonial uh, duty that they performed in the tabernacle and the temple. As beautiful as it was and as awesome as, as it is to study, it was ultimately pointing to the substance, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's continue in our verse-by-verse -verse study, looking at the substance versus the shadow. Shadow, there's no power. The substance is everything. Verse 14. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. There, verse 14, the, 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 the key truth there, it was what? Not 
three offerings, not two offerings, but it says one offering. It was one offering for all time. And as we talked about last week, the power of the cross, the forgiveness that's provided, it was retroactive. From, from the very beginning of creation till whatever, what's the day, the 20, 20th, 19th? 19th. Till July 19th, 2020, the, 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 uh, the power of the cross was once and for all. The same sacrifice that they trusted in is the same sacrifice that we trust in. It is never to be repeated. It stretches from Adam and Eve to July 19th, 2020. It is completely sufficient for our forgiveness. And it was one offering that he has perfected for all time, those who are sanctified. So it's through the death of Christ that we are sanctified. It's through the death of Christ that we are made holy. It's through the death of Christ that we are perfected in God's sight. Not that, not that you're perfect, because there's no such thing as a perfect Christian. But we have this, um, this positional righteousness in Christ, where God sees us in his Son, in his son as perfect and in a right standing with him. But in this life, we continue to grow. But eventually, one day, we'll see him face to face. And we'll see all this. And we'll get to see the substance. And I always wonder, you know, and I don't, I don't wonder. I, I believe it that uh, when we get to heaven, will he still have the scars? I'd say yes. When, when we get to heaven, will we see the scars left over? from Calvary, and I, I think we will. I, I believe we will. Because it was, a, it was a sacrifice that stood for all time in the perfect, sinless Lamb of God. Verses uh, 15, verse 15. He says, And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us after this, saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them. He then says, In their sins... And their lawless deeds I will remember no more. He's quoting here from Jeremiah 31, verse 18. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. I would hope that the audience that the author is communicating to, I would hope and think that at this point, if they have open hearts, they're going to be like, yeah, okay. I'm starting to see it. Because a lot of times, when in our witness, we just need to simply explain to people what the cross means. We need to explain to people what his resurrection means. We need to explain to people the simple precepts of the scriptures and help them understand it. And a lot of times when people understand it, they're going to be like, oh, okay, I got it now. I got it. I see the picture. And in verses 15 through 18, I see two things in there. Two things that, uh, that he's accomplished for us. Two things that he give, he's given us. There in, um, in verse, verse 16, I believe, the, the new heart he gives us when we become born again. His law is written on our hearts. You know, one of the things when you, when you get saved and you become a born-again believer, you know what he does? He gives you a love for his word. He, he gives you, he writes his word on your heart and it makes you love 
him more. He writes his word on our hearts. It's one of the evidences of being born again is that we, we love his law and we love his word. We love his word. In verse 17, um, he says, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Their sins are not covered, as I said a while ago. Their sins are completely removed. Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. God says to you, and he, said, he offers this to all people, that if you will come to my son, if you will embrace my son, if you will embrace the substance of Christianity and put your trust in Christ Jesus alone, every sin, every lawless deed from the very beginning, he says, he will remember no more. Folks, that's powerful. That's powerful in a day and age where so many people are angered and filled with hate and filled with unforgiveness that our beautiful gospel, the example that Christ has given us is that by his sacrificial death on the cross, he offers us complete forgiveness of sin from the very beginning and even your future sins. Calvary is retroactive to the past, to the beginning, because no one's perfect and Christians blow it along the way. I want to read to you a verse from Micah, Micah 7, 19. Um, says, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sin into the depths of the sea. You know, when I read that verse this week, I thought about Christ's work on the cross. And I just imagine, just go with me for a minute. It's not in the scriptures. But I, I just imagine in my, in my brain, you know, Christ taking all of our sin, going out to the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. And I've crossed the Atlantic three times by ship. And there's a lot of water out there. That's a big <laughs> pond. It's a big pond. And it's very, very deep. But I just imagine Christ taking all of our sin out to the middle of the Atlantic and just letting it down. And it goes into the deep darkness of the ocean where you will never see it again. That is what Christ gives us at the cross. Complete forgiveness. And that's what he offers this world. I close with this thought this morning. What are you embracing? Are you embracing the, are you embracing the substance or the shadow? Again, there's nothing wrong with shadows, okay? I like shadows. I, I, I like necklaces with cross and Christian t-shirts. And I love studying John Calvin. And I love studying Jacob Arminius. And I love studying Calvary Chapel teachings and, 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 and all these different areas of the faith. And they can be very good. And I have no problem with denominations. I'm not an anti-denomination guy. I love my Baptist brothers. I love my Assemblies of God brothers. I love my Presbyterian brothers. I love my Calvary Chapel brothers. I, I love them all. But all those little things are just shadows of the real thing. Church, let's make the substance of our faith the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and follow the instruction that's given to us here in Scripture as this author is talking 
to these Hebrews, you know, being a Christian is trusting in Christ alone for salvation and nothing else. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never become a Christian, this is three words that the Bible describes how you enter into a relationship with him. It's repent, believe, receive. You repent. That means you say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me for all my lying, all my lusting, all my violations against your law. Help me to turn away from the, uh, help me to turn away from the old life. Help me turn away from it. That's repentance. And then faith. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. Transfer your faith from yourself, which is what everybody loves to trust in, and say, Lord Jesus, I trust in you. And then open your heart and say, Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, please come into my life. Um, the worship team is going to come up and close with a song. If you haven't done that, I want to encourage you to do that. And if, if you do make that decision this morning, uh, would you please let me know after service so I can encourage you and pray with you um, throughout the week. Amen? Amen? All right, let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Hebrews chapter 10. Lord, you bless us mightily. Every time we open your word, Lord, we are, we are, we are sitting at your feet. We're not sitting at my feet or Calvary Chapel's feet, but Lord, every single one of us, from me to the person in the sound booth, we're sitting at your feet and we're learning and growing in our relationship with you. So Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for this substance. And Lord, we're thankful for all the shadows and we, and we enjoy being a part of those shadows, but those shadows are not our salvation. You are. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen.